Right, let's take our Bibles and go to Luke chapter 4. I'm going to speak to you on this subject today on tempted and temptations. But before we do that, I would like to clarify a statement that I made in last week's sermon. Um, I made the statement, do you have to be baptized in order to be saved? And then I said, I don't know. Now that caused some confusion because some people are saying, Jeff, are you saying that you have to be baptized in order to be saved? Uh, First of all, no. I do not believe at all that the Bible says or teaches in any way that baptism by sprinkling or immersion saves. The point of that statement was to say that there are people that I've met and I've talked to who say things like, I have been saved, but I do not want to get baptized. And the only thing that I have to go on is the New Testament. And what we see in the New Testament is that when people get saved, they want to be baptized. Now you see, Jeff, are you saying that people who say that they're saved and are not baptized are not saved? I'm not saying that because really... I mean, if we got honest and down to it, I don't know if people I have baptized here have been saved. And you know what? None of us really knows who's saved and who's not, right? We don't know that. So we're not making the statement to try to go around like some type of a, uh, you know, a spiritual surgeon and say, you're saved, you're saved, you're lost, you're lost. But in the New Testament, the only thing I have to go on is I believe, you know, if you're following Christ, you will have some type of desire to follow him and what he says. And I believe in the New Testament also, when you see people get saved, the Philippian jailer, um, the Ethiopian eunuch, and Philip, God just supernaturally like morphed Philip there and he explained the Old Testament and the man got saved. He said, can we be baptized here? Like water on the side of the road. And wouldn't you say that's a little bit aggressive, maybe? Or, or would that be kind of normal? I think that the cry of our heart when God saves us, let's take baptism out of the picture. If we hear something like Jesus says, I want you to be baptized, our response should be, is that it? Right? Think about what it means to be saved. To be saved, it means to be delivered from hell, which we all rightly deserve. It means to be given the Holy Spirit who will guide us into truth our whole life, who will never leave us and never forsake us. It means that God replaces bitterness with joy and forgiveness. It means that we've been given eternal and everlasting life. It means that He can break the chain even of addictions that we've had for years. And so when that happens, and Jesus doesn't is no longer a part of our life, but He becomes our life, it was in that context that I made the statement. In the question. Are we all clear on that? All right. Pastor Jeff does not believe that you have to be uh, baptized. All right. The baptism saves in any way. The only thing, like I told you before several times, is that the only information I have is the New Testament. And when people follow Christ, and only follow him in believer's baptism, which is immersion, they also follow him with their lives. So I wanted to give that little word and jump in now into Luke chapter 4 and the subject of temptation. Now last week we covered up to verse number 22, where it is the baptism of Jesus. Now imagine if you were there, right? You've got Jesus, the Son of God. And when John saw, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he made the statement in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold, which means look at, check this out. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And Jesus came and John baptized Jesus in the water. And the Bible says in verse 22, And the Holy Spirit descended on Him bodily, in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came down from heaven, You are My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now this is an amazing, amazing text, right? I wouldn't you probably say that this is a mountaintop experience. Right? You've got John the Baptist... The greatest preacher, and then you've got Jesus, the Son of God, who said of John the Baptist that there was no man born of women greater than John the Baptist. And here it is, Jesus gets baptized, and then after the genealogy, you see in verse number 1 of chapter 4, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led, this is really weird, was led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So who was the one who led Jesus to be tempted? The Holy Spirit. You see, that kind of sounds weird. I thought that the Holy Spirit was there to help you into truth, not guide you into possibly falling into into error. The point of Jesus' temptation was to show everyone that Jesus is able to withstand temptations, the ones that many of us are unable to withstand. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you several statements right now about temptation. Charles Swindoll said this in his book, Man to Man. He said, quote, No one is immune to temptation. Not even a hero, not even a nobody. Not even people like you and me. Lust is never far away, and just when you least expect it, there it is again. Greg Matt, in his book, The Highest Education, Becoming a Godly Man, said, Temptation is around us every day, and it doesn't usually lurk in the bushes for a surprise attack. Instead, listen to this, it slowly befriends us, convincing us that we have nothing to fear. Isn't that the way that temptation works sometimes? Let me give you a couple other statements. Uh, Charles Stanley in his book, uh, Winning the War with Inset, quote, the awful, never-ending process of combating temptation is God's means of maturing us and conforming us to the image of Christ. And then Augustine, um, who was an incredible writer, um, he wrote this in the 5th century. He said, habit, if not resisted, becomes necessity. One more statement by Henry Drummond in his book, Stones Rolled Away and Other Addresses to Young Men. This was in 1893, back when people used to not beat around the bush. Y'all all right? When Christian authors wrote, they wrote. Here's what he said. Temptation is a pitiless thing. It goes into the church and picks off the man in the pulpit, and it goes to the university and picks off the flower of the class. Meaning that temptation, no matter who you are, temptation is no respecter of persons. And I'm going to go out really far on a limb and say that there are probably most of us who have been tempted somehow this week. Can I get a witness? All right. You've been tempted. Now, often the people who are so deep in the clutches of sin, they're also deep in the clutches of pride, and they don't want to admit that I ever get tempted by anything, right? The people who have a a plastic gaze. We're all going to be tempted to do certain things, but the question is, when does temptation usually hit? Verse 1 here in in Luke chapter 4 is an incredible picture of when temptation normally hits. 
It usually hits big time after big victories and big mountaintop experiences. I don't know if you've ever done any hiking, but um, there's several months ago, some of us went um, hiking and we were, we were up there. I mean, it was, it was high and you could see different, you could see a long, I mean, huge, you could see large distances and you could notice in the distance that there were other mountaintops and other mountaintops. And I don't know of any climber who's ever said, you know, once I get to one mountaintop, I'm going to be able to build some type of a zip line, and I can build this zip line for about a mile or so, and just hop on that and go to the other mountaintop, right? Kind of bypass all of those valleys and all that hiking, right? All that sweat, all that blood, and, and all, all the gnats, right? Now, there's some, there are two basic types of people. One person thinks of hiking and they think of adventure. The other type, kind of person thinks of bugs, right? It's usually the way that it works out, right? Like the, the lady, she likes to hike. The, the guy doesn't, guy does, lady doesn't. And, and so notice too, um, when you're on a mountaintop, neither can you say, <clears throat> in order to get that mountaintop, I want, I want God to give me some type of a, a Holy Spirit helicopter, right? To come down and pick me up, you know? And I've got like, you know, John the Baptist, he's reaching out his hand and he, he locks around me and he takes me to the other mountaintop. It doesn't work that way, does it? Usually when we hit the mountaintop, we've got to go through another valley until we hit another area of victory. And it is in the valley where the temptation happens. I'm going to give you three ways. This is in the text, all right? You say, Jeff, why don't you ever preach three points in a poem? Well, a lot of times, if you go through the Bible and you don't make it what you want to say, there may be one point, or two, or five, or seven. So today, it's three. And our traditional Baptist said, Amen, right? Baptist say, that's the three points, right? Sunday school, church, buffet. So, the three points, the three areas. Some of y'all, that's, that's going to be what you get out of this sermon. You're like, I like that. Alright. Three ways that Satan normally tempts us. Go ahead and write these down. These are in your worship guide as well. Number one is physically. He will tempt us. Satan will tempt us with physical desires. Secondly, he will tempt us professionally. He will tempt us to to compromise on right and wrong in the area of our work. And number three, he will tempt us spiritually, or you could write down religiously. Let me give you also a verse, and this is incredible. Please write this down. It is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. I'm going to read this to you. The Bible says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here it is, the desires of the flesh, physical, the desires of the eyes, physical slash professional, what I can achieve, what I can get, and pride in possessions, that can be any type, spiritual, physical, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And verse 17 is key. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So when Satan hits, some of you may be tempted more physically. Some of you, you say, <clears throat> Jeff, the desire to go out and, and to commit adultery or some sin along those lines... It's not really, that's not been a big thing. But one thing that I have a problem with is lying or being honest or doing my work up to par. For some, it's the tendency to be spiritually hypocritical. 
So whatever weakness we have naturally or something we've developed over time, often Satan will hit us where it hurts. I mean, you can give an illustration from boxing. If you've got someone, if you've got two boxers and one has a glass jaw, the other one's going to not try any body shots. He's going to try to knock him out, hit him on the button. Whereas if someone has an injured rib, the boxer is going to forego the headshots and try to break the body down. It's in the same way that Satan desires to tempt and to take us down. So first off, notice in verse 1 through 4, Satan tempts Jesus physically. All right, verse 2. How long had he been out there? Somebody help me out. 40 days. Being tempted by the devil and he ate, help me out church, nothing. Wow, you know that Jesus couldn't have been a Baptist from that verse alone. Y'all okay? We've got somebody honest out there like, yeah, maybe maybe right, all right. And he ate nothing during those days. And and when, notice this is so key, underline it, highlight it if you're an underliner, highlighter. And when they, speaking of those days, were ended... He was hungry. If you've got a King James, it translates this very well. It literally means Jesus was hungered. Meaning that Jesus, it was almost like he was passive in the sense that if hunger could be some type of thing, it was like hunger, like a leech attached itself to Jesus and his physical body was so much that it wasn't that he took one breath that he was not absolutely famished. And then verse 3, who begins to talk? The devil. Notice that Satan did not come on day 5, day 7, day 21, day 39, but he came once Jesus was literally starving to death. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. Remember what happened when Satan tempted Adam and Eve? He says that the fruit looks good to you. He tempted them physically. Notice what he tells Jesus here in verse 3. He uses the if-then argument. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. So it's like Satan. If you've ever seen the Discovery Channel, you see it in winter. When some of, whether it's elk or whether it's bison, and you, they begin to get weak, right? When they begin to get weak, the wolves attack, don't they? They don't attack the strongest one at the strongest time. They wait until the victim is drained of power. And here Jesus is. He is human, but He is God and He is physically starving. And Satan comes and he uses this, this, well, if you are the Son of God. You know what he did? Satan questioned what has already been proven. And you know what Satan will do to you often when you go through physical pain? Satan will say, if God truly is real. If God loves you, then this would not happen. He will always use the if, the conditional, the possibility that God is not what we know God already is. And then he says, if you are, then turn this stone into bread. You say, Jeff, let's stop here for just a second. And why in the world was Jesus here? I mean, I know that the Holy Spirit led him there to be tempted, but why was Jesus tempted? Well, one of the reasons that Jesus was tempted is because when Luke was written, it was written in the first century to a very few people who even heard of Jesus. So when the gospel went out and they read, all right, now who is this guy? And he, he was born of a virgin. 
All of these prophecies, who actually is Jesus? Luke is like, guys, let me tell you who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who did a stare down with Satan when Jesus had fasted, which means to go without solid food for 40 days. Jesus is the one who was able to overcome that. So if you've got temptations, people, here, 21st century, if you've got temptations and things that pull you into sin, 1st century pagans, I want to let you know that Jesus is the one who resisted the tempter and He came out on top. That should be good news for you. Amen, church? That Jesus resisted the physical temptation. And also it's there to to, to show that Jesus is is, is superior, go with me on this, thinkers, to Adam. When you read the book of Romans, you find about how Jesus is, is the second Adam. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that our original forefather, that means that all of us in one way are related. That may be scary for some of you. You're like, I don't want to be related to him, you know, right? Like we're all part of one human race, okay? That means that some of the people you say, I hate those people. That, that's, that's your family. Y'all all right? Can you say that type of stuff? We are all one family. And so if you go back to our original parents, Adam and Eve, when they were tempted, they failed, right? They're like, whoa, that fruit looks awesome. And Satan's like, well, if you eat it, you'll become like God. They're like, okay, all right. And then, you know, Eve got it and Adam was there like a dumb dude, right? With a hot chick. He was, I mean, maybe he was just, but he was just out of it. He was there because the Bible says that she gave some to her husband who was with her. So it was like everything crashed and burned with Adam and Eve. But when Jesus came, the Bible here is showing that Jesus resisted the temptation and was victorious. And also it shows that Jesus is superior over Israel when they were tempted. You remember back, um, you can write this down, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. This is all background. This is necessary when we talk about temptation. When we apply this in a few moments, it's going to make it much richer. Deuteronomy chapter 2, the Bible says, this is God speaking to the Israelites who were in the wilderness. He said, and I was... And you shall remember the whole way that your Lord God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you might keep his commandments or not. We know the story of the Israelites, right? They they go in the wilderness, they get thirsty for two seconds, they begin to cry out, God, why have you left us? Then they get hungry, and God gives them manna. Remember that? Manna, bread from heaven which is Krispy Kreme glazed donuts, for those of you who are working on the Hebrew word there, right? Gave them fresh food to eat. But then they say, well, we don't have any meat. So he sends them all sorts of quail to eat. I mean, it's just like time after time, they failed the temptation. But when Jesus came, Jesus did not fail. So what Satan was trying to do, see, Jeff, why in the world would Satan ask Jesus to make a stone become bread? Like if Jesus had said, okay, I'm the son of God, I can do that. Boom. You know, steaming hot Atlanta bread factory quality bread right there in the wilderness. If Jesus had done that, what would have been the big deal? I mean, really, is it that big of a deal when Jesus is hungry? I mean, he hasn't eaten anything for 40 days to make some bread. But here's what Satan was trying to get Jesus to do. He was trying to get Jesus to reinvent what the Messiah actually was. 
He was trying to, to, to say, you know what, Jesus, if, you, if it gets difficult, I want to give you an easy out. And if Jesus would have taken the easy out and used his supernatural power, what Satan would have been able to do is to take a big syringe full of sinful, selfish virus and infuse that into God's plan to redeem the world. Because what you would have had is a Savior who's not that much different than you and I, right? You know what some of us do when we get tempted? We take the easy way out, don't we? Right? We take the easy way out. We say, well, I can't handle that. I'm just going to give in. What you would have had is a selfish Savior, or you could say a megalomaniac Messiah. But Jesus resisted the temptation to give in physically. You see, now Jeff, how does Jesus respond to Satan's challenge when Jesus says over in verse number four, these words, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Anybody blown away by that? I was Jesus just being poetic here. I mean, there was no lightning from heaven. There was no supernatural miracle. There was no Noah's flood part two. There was no, I mean, all Jesus did was just quote like a small Bible verse. What in the world is significant about this? Jesus is saying that it is more having, that that the food of doing the will of my Father is more important than my physical food. It's like Jesus is, is turning to Satan, looking through the lenses of the Bible and saying, Satan, you and I both know that I am starving, literally starving to death. My body is, is beginning to eat itself, the muscle tissue even. But you and I both know the reason that I'm here is not so that I can have an easy life. You and I both know that when I was born, I was destined to die. And you and I both know in a few years, I'm going to do miracles and I'm going to experience terrible crucifixion on a cross. I will die, I will actually die, and I will be dead for three days. But after Satan, are you listening? After those three days, I will be raised again by the power of God. And through His power, He's going to save people all the way through the tribulation until that seven years of tribulation are finished and all of those who have been appointed to be killed will be killed. I'm going to return and Satan, you may be tempting me now, but I'm telling you, when I return, I'm going to throw you in the lake of fire and you will never be able to tempt anyone again. Can you say amen to that church? That's what Jesus is saying to Satan. And you cannot win. And the end of the story, Satan, Jesus is like a paraphrase, I will not misuse my power and you lose. I'm so glad to serve a Savior who can withstand physical temptation. And also, boy, this is good news. Where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus did not fail. And where we fail time and time again, you serve a Savior who fails no one. Jesus will never fail. And even though Jesus, when He was on the cross, His body and His flesh were torn apart, and even though some of you who may be getting ready to be up in age... Notice I did not use the O word this time. Old. Alright, some of y'all are like, good, I'm, I'm watching, I'm watching. Even though it may come to the point where we get physically sick, if we pray this doesn't ha- happen, but if we get some disease, we can say as a psalmist, my body and my flesh may fade away, but I will remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because greater is He who is in me than he who is in the world. So if you're struggling with temptation, take heart that Jesus fails nobody. Number two, 
Satan will tempt us professionally. Notice how he changes tactics here in verse number 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. It's like some type of super fast vision. And then in verse 6, And Satan said to him, quote, To you, Jesus, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then, notice the if then once again, if you then, here's the catch, will worship me, it will all be yours. So Satan's like, okay, bread, food doesn't work. I'm going to take him up on a huge mountain. I'm going to give him a vision of everything that appeals to us. Now let's stop right here. Think about all the good that you could do with all the power of all the governments and all the kingdoms of the world. Don't you think that you could pretty much eradicate child hunger through that? Right? Right? Like one guy in Georgia, he used to say, well, when I'm dictator, and he would, he would give what he thought would be best for, for the country. When I'm dictator, this will happen. Think of what Jesus could have done. Jesus could have have instituted a feed the hungry program to where no one would be hungry again. Jesus could eradicate poverty. Jesus would be, and this is on a condition, by the way, that Satan is the liar and the father of all lies, if Satan was actually telling the truth. But also, um, I want to give you a note here. When Satan says it has been delivered to me, this destroys the notion of cosmic dualism. You say, Jeff, what is in the world is that and why does it matter? There is a belief out there and it's called cosmic dualism, which believes that there is the power of light and then there's the power of darkness. God is the power of light and the power of darkness and they're fighting it out. In other words, Jesus and Satan are in a boxing ring. Nothing is further than the truth. Satan is actually a created being and he's a dog on a leash. Amen, church? All right? So we don't, we don't have to pray, God, I hope that you have taken your protein today and are strong enough to defeat Satan. Never. Even if Satan's telling the truth, what he had, the kingdoms of the world, were delivered to him by God. And notice, Jesus responds in a similar way here. In verse number 8, he says, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Make a way of application just right here until we go further. For those of you that are in the work world, there's always going to be the temptation for you to compromise on what you know is right. I'm sure that if I had a show of hands in here for every person who's ever worked a job, we could probably, the majority would say, there's been a time in my professional life, in other words, you say, Jeff, how does this tie into professional life and my work? Well, it's the desire to excel. I mean, think about what you could do if you were elevated to be above the whole world and be king of the world. Titanic, cheesy movie reference there, right? Like, all the things that you could do. Well, the point is that compromise in the end in the long run, always costs you more than you think it will. Right? Doesn't that? I mean, in that case, when we compromise, Jesus' response here says that it is only God who I serve. Meaning when we compromise, we give over things that we'll never be able to get back. Number three, Satan will tempt us first off physically. He'll tempt us professionally. And then he'll tempt us spiritually. Notice how Satan changes tactics again in verse 9. 
Now, the first time, Jesus quoted Scripture. Second time, Jesus quoted what? Scripture. So, has Satan in verse 9, he's going to quote Scripture. Notice what he does. He takes Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, which is very high up, If you are the Son of God, notice the if then, right? If you are, then throw yourself down from here. For it is written, this is Psalm chapter 91, verses 11 and 12, that Satan is quoting. Satan's quoting the Bible. How weird is that? He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But if you're taking notes, write this down. Satan neglected to mention the phrase in those verses, quote, in all your ways. You know that Satan knows more Bible verses here than I would say some Baptists know? Say, Jeff, why in the world was Satan quoting the Bible to Jesus? Here's where it becomes very tricky in the world that we live in. There are some people who will quote the Bible to us, but they won't actually quote what the Bible means. For example, they will leave out the difficult parts, right? Now, why didn't Satan include the whole verse when it said, in all your ways? Well, because this way that Jesus would have been tempting God simply to say, you know what, I'm going to do a bungee jump minus the bungee, okay? I'm going to jump off, and I'm just going to throw myself on the mercy of God. Jesus responds in verse number 12 with actual Scripture taken in context. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Let me read you a statement by Warren Wiersbe. He said, We tempt God when we put ourselves into circumstances that force Him to work miracles on our behalf. You'll catch that? We tempt God when we put ourselves into circumstances that force Him to work miracles on our behalf. The diabetic who refuses to take insulin and argues, quote, Jesus will take care of me, may be tempting the Lord. We tempt God when we try to force Him to contradict His own Word. Wow! You say, Jeff, how does that work today? Let me give you one more statement by Joel Green, an incredible New Testament scholar. And please don't miss this, because point number three hinges upon this statement. Moreover, he's talking about the devil here. The devil fails to recognize an even deeper mystery known already to the believing community of which Luke is a part. That divine, here it is, that divine rescue may come through suffering and death not only before and from them. And then he says, in this case, the devil shares the viewpoint of those who mock Jesus in Luke chapter 23, verses 35 and 36, when they said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. When Jesus responds here, he's saying, I will not tempt God, but furthermore, God may work through suffering. And really, that's the point of the gospel, isn't it? That God is able to, through suffering, through physical suffering, through suffering from doing the right thing in your job, from doing the right thing as far as not editing the Bible, that it may come through suffering. I was watching a... This is, this is going to be a, a terrible indictment upon my level of nerddom, but I was watching C-SPAN book TV the other day. Isn't that sad? Right? That's, that's prof- some of y'all are like, you're joke. you're like waiting for the punchline. No, I, I did. And it was Michael Moore, alright? The guy, you know, Fahrenheit 9-11. And, and one of his favorite books is 
the New Testament, and it had in parentheses, as edited by Thomas Jefferson. You know what Thomas Jefferson did when he edited the Bible, the New Testament? He took out all references to the supernatural. All references to, uh, for example, anything supernatural like Jesus being raised from the dead. And at least Michael Moore is honest. Because I believe that there's a lot of churches, a lot of folks in churches across the U.S. where they may not say, I want the Bible edited. But when you come and preach through the Bible and you come to things like very unpopular issues like divorce, okay, like giving, like abortion, like forgiveness, like serving God totally and not just relegating Him to 11 to 12 on Sunday. There's a lot of folks that they won't say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I've got a great pair of scissors and some white out at home. I've just been led by the Holy Spirit to donate those to you and the church. If you don't mind just using those in the hard passages of the Bible, we would really appreciate it, right? A lot of folks don't say that in church today, but here's here's where the the kicker really is. In churches, not not just ours, on a whole, when the Bible is preached and the tough things are talked about and they're not watered down, do people say, even if they're convicted, when I listen to preaching throughout the week from preachers I respect, do I listen or do I fast forward it? Do I turn it off? Or when the Bible is preached, even if it's hard, And even if it's difficult, do I say, may God be praised even though it's just shown me my sin? Or do I rise up in self-righteousness and say, how dare you? Y'all all right? There's going to be one way that says, I want the Bible. I don't want it edited like Satan was trying to do here. And I want it in its full force. Say, Jeff, what do we do with this? Notice in your bulletin, how do you deal with temptation, right? We know how Jesus dealt with it, so what do we do? Three ways. Number one, rely upon and quote Scripture. That's pretty basic, isn't it? You know, notice what Jesus did three times? Jesus did not do anything, what we would call fancy, simply quoted the Bible. Let's read this together in your bulletin. I put this in here for good measure. Under number one. This requires, speaking of relying upon and quoting Scripture, that you memorize Scripture, right? Because if you're going to quote something, you've got to know it, okay? In order to effectively memorize Scripture, you have to truly love, or you must truly love the God of the Bible. Does that make sense? In order for me to invest in something, I've got to love the one who gave it to me. And in order to truly love God, your heart must be changed by Him. If you get anything out of this today, I'd encourage you to go home. I would give you steps, but there's tons of ways to do it. Just go in an internet search and just take your Bible, Matthew chapter 5, begin to memorize it one verse a day, one verse a week. You got to put it in your heart, okay? If we have the greatest preaching, if we get, you know, like the greatest preacher in America and bring him in here, give me a break for a month or so, and we've got, you know, the greatest music, you know, all of that is, is secondary to you being able to have the Word of God in your heart. Let me give you a text. Psalm 119, 133. I read this yesterday and it's been on my heart and I wanted to share it with you. The Bible says, Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have a dominion over me. Wow. That means when I intake the word of God, it's going to change the way that I act. 
There were several years ago when I was pastoring in Georgia that I, a friend of mine um, in Florida uh, just gave me a call. And there was a guy in his church, and I knew this guy. And this, this pastor was just broken. I mean, this guy had gone in and basically reamed him out, called him every dirty uh, name in the book, a guy at the church. And it was just like the most awful, uncalled-for thing. So I just got, I got very, very, very... I took up a fence for him. Have you ever taken up a fence for somebody? You hear about... It's like the, uh, the old country song, another somebody done somebody wrong song. Okay? And you hear about it, and you get all fired up. Well, I, I was so incensed that on my, on my way down, I was like, I'm going to go to that joker's house, I'm going to beat him down. Well, maybe y'all have never had any, any, any desire to do that before. Okay, so I'm just going to be very honest. It was to such a level of attack that my friend had had. I was going to go to this guy's house and say, I want you to come outside your house. I've got my cell phone. You call and you apologize to this pastor for what you said and the lies that you're spreading in his church or you and me are going to have it out right now. Is that bad? So we're like, all right, on the way down. On the way down, we had been teaching through the book. See, this is where, I'm going to make a statement. I hope I'm not misunderstood. This is where the Bible can become incredibly aggravating in your life. Let me get, and here's, here's one. We were going through the book of James, and we actually did that here. And we were on James chapter 1, verse 20, that said, The wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. And I was not kidding anybody, buddy. I had some wrath. Okay, You say, Jeff, what's the difference between wrath and anger? Anger is when you see that the person is red in the face. Wrath is when you see steam coming out the ears. All right? And on the way down, I was just wrestling with God. I was like, the God, that sucker needs to, he, something needs to happen. He needs to stop. And, and God said, you know, don't the wrath of man. You know, it wasn't like, God's like, well, Jeff, you need it. It like, the wrath of man. But God, you know, the wrath of man, worse not the righteousness of God. But God, you don't understand. The wrath of man, worse not the righteousness of God. You know what I'm saying? Like God, when he gives you his word, he doesn't give you explanation because it is the explanation. Right, church? Well, God took care of the guy, um, in his own way, I believe hopefully brought him to repentance. But I was very frustrated at the Word of God because it kept me from doing something that I later looked back and saw would have been incredibly stupid. When you study and you memorize the Word of God, it may bring you to a point where you say, you know what, I wish I didn't know that verse. But when you look back years later, you will be thankful that you knew it. So rely upon and quote Scripture when you're tempted. If you're tempted to become angry, if you're tempted to become lustful, if you're tempted to become self-righteous, if you've got God's Word in your heart, when you quote it, when you say it, that is, Satan doesn't like the Word of God when it's actually not edited. And he will leave. Number two, realize that temptation comes only for a season. Notice verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Meaning that it will not happen every single moment of every single day if you give the Word of God. Let me give you a couple of examples. If you're, de- if you're tempted to cheat on your husband or your wife, Proverbs chapter 7, it talks about the adulteress. It gives a very scary word picture. When she says that she will grab him and kiss him and say, I've waited for you. And you know, you're basically the man and my husband's not any good. And, and you're just so awesome. And she tries to build you up. Guys, it says that know that the uh, steps to her house lead to the gates of hell. Wow. 
Then it says that as a, an arrow pierces through the liver of a deer, that's what happens to someone who engages in that. The Word of God. Uh, chapter, if, if you, alright guys, if you're, if you're being tempted about that this week, let me give you a verse. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 9. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and angry woman. Think when you're tempted, guys, desert time. Because the prayer of your pastor is this, that if you leave your wife and you go shack up with some lady, that he will give her uncontrollable toe hair and armpit hair, and she will become mean as a snake, just like the Bible says, so that she will go back to where you should be. Y'all all right? Is that too much? To be honest, I'm tired of seeing kids suffer. For parents and maturity. Number two, crime. Let's talk about young guys. A lot of times guys are tempted to say, oh man, let's go do this and that. Let's go, let's go to Proverbs chapter one very quickly. I want to give you a very good picture of the Bible when it tells us what we see on cops. Proverbs chapter one, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, if they try to trick you, do not consent. If they say, come, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Let, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. Then verse 13 talks about if you ever have somebody who tries to tempt you to steal. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us and we will all have one purse. Verse 16 says, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. In verse 18 it says, But these men lie in wait for their own blood and set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. Be warned when there's the temptation to do that which is wrong, resist. Let's talk about friends. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. The Bible says that he who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you say, Jeff, what call do I have over who my kids hang out with? Well, question, who pays their car insurance? Who pays their gas? Who pays for their meals? Who puts a roof over their head? If it's still you, guess who gets to call the shots? Mom and dad. The day that the kid pays for all that stuff, say that's when you can call your shots. If you're a parent here, please never think that you're being repressive when you try to protect your children from being around people who will lead them down the wrong road. Despair and old age. Give a couple of applications here before we close. There's some people that I've heard throughout my short life of 31 years, and they say things like, well, I'm too old to serve the Lord. Let me give you a verse for this. Psalm chapter 73, verse 26. My heart, excuse me, my flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion, my, if you could say this, my retirement account forever. I got a really weird email update the other day. It was George Lucas's daughter is an MMA fighter. How random is that for those of you who are Star Wars people? All right, so I clicked on the link and she was fighting some some lady from South Korea. And she, I mean, George Lucas's daughter, like she could beat up probably most every man in our church except for Jeff McCarty and John Gerani. I mean, she is a she is a tank. All right, I was scared watching it. You know, like she'd come out of the screen and punch me in the face. She was just, I mean, destroying this lady. And then then uh, George Lucas's daughter got this this woman into an arm bar. And, and, and she wasn't tapping out. Well, the other woman's corner threw in the towel. 
Well, guess what this woman did? After the fight was called, George Lucas' daughter is celebrating. This girl goes over to her trainer who threw in the towel and punches him in the face. I was like, Lord, I don't know if she's married. If she is, her husband needs to be prayed for a lot. And if she's not married, then whoever dates her needs to look out. And I, <laughs> yeah. And I thought about it. I said, you know what? That should be our attitude no matter what age we are when people tell us we need to throw in the towel on you and God is finished with you because you're too old, you didn't have this level of education, whatever it is, we say that God is our strength and we will continue to progress even through temptation because it's only for a season. And every time temptation comes, flee and run. You say, now Jeff, I thought that the Bible says somewhere that God won't put more on us than we can handle and He'll give us a way of escape. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's our final aspect. The way you deal with temptation is to understand and realize that God will give you a way of escape. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Say, Jeff, it seems sometimes like I don't have a way of escape. It seems like I've been put inside of a room. We'll start kicking some walls out. Y'all with me? All right, try for the glory of God. If there's something there, try to remove whatever it is. Um, if, if it's if it's guys, if, it, if it's internet stuff, there's some some sites you can um, you can use. Covenant Eyes is very good. There's some ways that you can have accountability partners, and it's it's a it's an incredible way to safeguard yourself. Psalm 119 verse 176 says, "I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments." And for those of us who have fallen, we may have, have given in to temptation. Let that be our prayer that said, God, I may have gone astray like a sheep, but I still remember your commandments. And God, in today's invitation, I'm asking you to seek out my heart.